Welcome to Podcast 1999, the podcast about Space 1999. I'm your host, Mark. And this here's is Matt. I, the, the fool of knowledge. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to go with the Shakespearean that our, our guest today <laughs> said he is going to come in with and couldn't. So I thought I'd just give it a, the old college try. But uh, joining us for the Mission Log podcast today is John Champion. Welcome back. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be back on Moonbase Alpha. And I, I think I called this episode incorrectly. Um, Death's other domain on the last episode. The dragon has a domain. <laughs> yeah. Death has a yeah, dominion. You started the dragon's domain. Yes. yes. Dragon gets the domain. It's it's a it's cutting hair, splitting hairs a bit. But you know what can you do? Yes. It's well, dragon death's domain dominion. That's mm. that that that's a, the mashup we've all been waiting for. I'll we'll get back device. to you about what what death rates higher. Uh, this one, without <laughs> spoiling too highly, oh. has a notable notable one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Mark, did you did you have the trivia for us? I do have the trivia for you, and okay. it is I'm juggling windows here. Okay, today's episode was the fourteenth in production order. Charles Crichton is back to direct again. You saw his work. You last saw his work on the last sunset. He'll be back for three more this season. Um, Anthony Turpeloff and Elizabeth Barrows are back as co-writers with Jerry Anderson. You last saw them last week on Collision Course, or you last saw their work, rather. Uh, they'll be back together for one more episode this season, and then Anthony will be back without Elizabeth for one in season two. I don't know if their marriage went the same way as the Andersons did. Maybe I can look that up later. So it was a gauntlet for one's uh, marriage, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The script was inspired by an Oscar-winning Frank Capra film from 1937 called Lost Horizon. And uh, model builder Martin Bauer used the spaceship from 1951's When Worlds Collide for the design of the uh, as inspiration for the design of the unfinished Phoenix. If you're wondering, that film also won an Oscar, but not as many Oscars. Um uh, that uh, this episode is almost scrapped because the fumes for the ice cave set were so noxious that Martin Landau refused to work in it, and then the soap used for the fake snow almost took the skin off of his face. That's probably hyperbole, but maybe it took some skin off of his face. Uh, the, the episode's title comes from a 1936 poem from Dylan Thomas. And death shall have no dominion, which was a reference itself to a biblical line, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Uh, the name Ultima Thule comes from Greek and Latin and refers to the basically the furthest location away beyond the known world. Uh, a celestial object was actually given the name Ultima Thule in, 19, in 2019 after being discovered by the New Horizons spacecraft, but it was changed after an article criticized it for being associated with a uh, mythological home of the Aryan race. Anyway, this is the only episode in the entire series where the cold open has any characters other than the moon base elephants, and it is a very cold open. 
Anyway, our main guest stars this week include uh, Brian Blessed as Dr. Cabot Rowland. Born in 1936 in South Yorkshire, his father was a miner who wanted a better life for Brian after Brian lost three uncles in the pit. He uh, displayed an aptitude for both acting and boxing, but the boxing didn't really stick. Uh, his acting career included many Shakespeare adaptations, surprisingly, not unsurprisingly, but more relevant to this topic, he appeared in Flash Gordon as Prince Bolton, several series of Black Adder as multiple Kings Richard, and as in Star Wars Episode One as the voice of Boss Nasts. I think that was one of the Trade Federation guys? I'm not I really think sure. That's right. Or maybe he was a, a pod racing boss. I don't know. I've only seen it once. Uh, he's still working even today doing voices for animated series and even video games. Many episodes of Peppa Pig. Anyway, uh, Captain Jack Tanner is played by John Shrapnel. He was born in Birmingham in 1942 and unsurprisingly also has a history of the Shakespeare, having worked extensively in theater at the Royal Shakespeare Company and National Theater in London. His screen credits also include many Shakespeare adaptations, but you can also see him in The Tom Machine, The Deliberate Death of a Polish Priest, and How to Get Ahead in Advertising. He passed away in 2020, but his final work came out this year, 2023, uh, a modern version of Hamlet called Hamlet Within. He plays opposite Sir Ian McKellen. And finally, Can we I just have... chime in really quickly. Oh. Sorry to interrupt. That I, if I was not named John Champion, I would want a name as cool as John Shrapnel. It almost That's... sounds like your arch nemesis. Like you <laughs> it, oh my god, it name. does! <laughs> right? And we're both from Birmingham, so oh, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, not that one, the other one, the, the other one, the, the, the other one. one. Yeah. Have you yeah. done Shakespeare? Uh, I have. I have actually done a little bit of Shakespeare. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, all right. That, that's it. I, I expect a, a comic book series and film adaptation of this story. Yeah, yeah. All right. And and as far as our uh, main guest stars, the last is Mary Miller as Frida. I think it was Frida. It was Frida. One of those. Uh, she was born in 1929 in Gorleston-on-the-Sea in Norfolk, England. That's a much more English. That's definitely not. There's not one of those in Alabama for sure. Um, she <laughs> also <not>. passed. <laughs> yeah, she passed away in 2020. Also, her background was also in theater, not quite as Shakespeare, but she was a founding member of the National Theater Company in 1963. Most of her screen credits are in British television and works such as Nightmare with a K, Marty Amok, and The Befrienders. Uh, that's trivia. All right. I, I do want to give a shout out to one other uh, guest star, uh, and that would be oh. Valerie Leon who uh, later shows up in a couple of Bond movies. And uh, she, I believe she did a bunch of uh, Hammer Horror. And uh, she's awesome. So Nice. Yeah. There you go. And yeah, gorgeous. I mean, so, yeah. I guess it's a common theme on this podcast. I barely vibes. finished the trivia in time. <laughs> 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 um, but, yeah, it, it was very nice to see um, enough extras to make this feel like a fully fleshed out place which we've gotten i think maybe one time so far in this show maybe twice they, they kept coming that, that was pretty impressive mm -hmm. that they just kept showing up and we spend very little time on Moonbase alpha so it's like if you're not blowing the budget there and you have this huge ice cave set then yeah bring in bring in the extras and spend a little money on costumes or you know those weird like animal cloths they have so yeah that, that, that was nice and it, i i at first i thought okay it's just going to be this handful of people 
But no, then the, like there's another group of people to go out as a search party. And then another group of people who are just hanging out. And then another group of people who are lobotomized. So yeah, they kept layering it. Yeah, this feels like kind of a different show. I don't want to insult the mm-hmm. show that it usually is, but this feels like more, this feels more fleshed out than almost anything. This a uh, spoiler. This is my new favorite episode of the show. Because <gasps> okay. it rules. Oh, I mean, it has wow. for for different reasons than uh, the last sunset was my favorite episode until now. <laughs> wow, <laughs> nice! If you want to hear also Mark has hate a crazy on things, go go to last week's collision course, which Mark did not like. <laughs> yeah, that is not that was not a candidate. Strange, same same writers, which is wild, because yeah. this feels like such a more fleshed out thing that that the writing was the problem with that episode, mm-hmm. and really nothing else. Um, interesting let's uh i'm gonna save my final judgment until the end sure all right (laughs) let's let's have a moment of silence for the story we open on a cold planet known as ultima thule dr cabot roland and captain jack tanner are watching a monitor showing them that earth's moon is approaching and about to enter their orbit they transmit a message to Moonbase Alpha with Roland asking them to join their lost paradise, but Jack is in the background of the message warning them to stay away. Anyway, Hel- Helena, Victor, and Alan take an eagle down to the planet to investigate, but the surface is a snowy hellscape, and John and Victor lose track of Helena and Alan. But the Thulians find and rescue the Alphans and take them inside to warm up. Well, all the Alphans except Alan, but they send a search party to try and find him. Uh, Roland and Tanner explain that they are also from Earth and are all survivors of the 1986 Uranus probe. A proton storm ejected them from Uranus and sent them to Ultima Thule. John concerns himself with trying to contact Alpha, but unbeknownst to him, Roland has sabotaged the communication equipment. Roland does agree to take the Alphans back to the Eagle, but they just miss Alan taking off to head back to safety on Alpha. The Alphans get a tour of the caves on Ultima Thule and are all informed that the Thulians have been alive for hundreds of years without aging, but also Roland has been experimenting on ways to make their immortality permanent so they can travel the universe on their ship, the Phoenix. However, his experiments have turned some Thulians into veritable zombies. Jack explains that he himself was the subject of one of the experiments that led to a partial loss of his sanity. Thulian descendants smash Roland's equipment and help Koenig fix the transmitter so he can contact Alpha and an eagle arrives with Alan and Dr. Matthias. The Alphans are interested in the prospect of eternal life, but Koenig is skeptical, and he also states that Alpha can't operate with a skeleton crew, so it's decided that a vote would decide whether everyone would move to Thule or everyone would stay on Alpha. However, when Dr. Roland tries to travel to Alpha on an eagle to make his case, he immediately turns into a smoldering corpse. The decision made for them, Moonbase Alpha continues along and bids Ultima Thule farewell. Now, John, I, I'm guessing you're here because because uh, you chose a few episodes. You're here for the blessed, is it? <laughs> Are you here? For I, the I'm track I'm feeling I'm feeling completely blessed, and uh, just getting hit with blessed shrapnel uh, all over yeah. this episode. It it really like look when you have an actor like Brian Blessed on screen who is just devouring scenery at an unhealthy rate, you've got to be able to fill that in with ways to actually take some focus every now and then to your other actors and um the uh john shrapnel as jack is terrific i I can understand where some viewers might find his shtick 
irritating and a bit over the top, but I actually think it serves the story very well. And um, to have really heightened characters like those and the, the sort of, you know, little bits of not, not jump scare. We get one jump scare at the end, but the little bits of like creepy, odd horror floating in the background of this episode. I think everything is balanced very nicely. Our alpha characters by design are usually pretty mellow. <laughs> They're pretty like they, they keep everything pretty grounded. Like obviously Martin Landau and Barbara Bain are just playing the truth of the moment. I think the one who succeeds best with that as always, always is Barry Morse as Victor Bergman. He grounds everything, but they're so grounded um, that I think they again, serve a very nice contrast to what Brian Blessed is doing. Just taking up, all the air in the room and i say that in the best possible way because he's he's a delight he's a national treasure yeah just for contrast Absolutely. when we did the last sunset a few weeks ago and you know paul morrow comes completely out of the box and goes over the top so it's kind of like yeah yes. these actors can do that oh. that's just the vibe of the show that they don't oh. do that um well, well because was... it, it it's a, i think we talked about this before. It, it's office in space you know, you have to be sold on the reality because you have this nuts premise that that does not hold up to any scrutiny at all. So then you are relying on everybody on Alpha to be as like normal and relatable and kind of boring. But I think that boringness works in a really effective way that, that they have to be that way almost so that then they are our proxy for all the weird things that happen around them. Yeah, in that yeah. case, the mushrooms have to make ball into the weird thing. Yep, yep, exactly. And, and then everyone laughs, and then it resets. <laughs> um, but in this, yeah, I, I agree with you completely that not only um, not only is Brian Blessed doing a great job chewing scenery, but I love that his character is never, it never, I feel like the story never hits you over the head with this guy is evil. Like, he never mm -hmm. is manipulations are very very subtle and then you find out that jack tanner actually has a reason for being insane which is directly tied to to him so that's incredible that you get that much of a, a story arc with this relationship between these two guest characters through that that runs through this episode we just haven't gotten that in the series at all like and, uh, and i thought there was something else really nice there where Yes, Brian Blessed is the bad guy. He is the one who is manipulating everybody else. But I think there's this really subtle thing between him and Jack where there's almost like this, this guilt and or protectiveness over Jack that, that comes across really nicely. It's like he has gone so far and completely subverted his own humanity when it comes to all these other experiments, but there's still something about Jack that he is protective over. And that, that all, whether it was intended or not, I think it plays really nicely, gives all of those characters and all of their backstory a bit of depth. Well, he was the uh, captain of the um, Uranus mission. Um. Oh, but I'm... <laughs> <laughs> they were ejected from Uranus. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's but the point is Jack is was the leader. So and now he's it's yeah. kind of like if on Star Trek if McCoy had a broken Kirk's mind and 
had to deal with it, you know, mm. uh, which yeah. would be something you yeah. would probably see in maybe in a uh, mirror universe or something, something like that. Yeah. Some way to there, there are ways that's that Star Trek plays with the characters. And that's kind of what we get here. And that's great. I've been hungry for something like this. Like, it's so great to not have <laughs> just the, the villain of the week shows up and maybe they're good and maybe they're bad. And then they're like, so long. I mean, okay, they did say so long in the end. Well, <laughs> except for the corpse. He didn't, I will he didn't go on the record. <laughs> you know, Brian Bless, of course, is giving a top-notch performance because he always does. But uh, Mr. Shrapnel, I think, is actually <laughs> kind of stealing the show a bit. I mean, you know, Killing you could it. say it's over right. the top, but it's he's the Shakespearean fool with that little touch of tragedy because, mm-hmm. uh, you know... Um, Geez, I, I got Jack Tanner. I didn't. Even, I just kept writing Brian Blessed in my notes. I didn't even get the guy's name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Doctor Roland. I, I I had to yeah remind myself, Doctor Roland. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when you have a name like his, why why even yeah, have a character yeah. name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and uh, John Shrapnel is so strong in that role and it is so weird so unless you have an actor who can totally commit to that and and it's not just the moments where he's spouting off these quasi shakespearean lines it's these other moments where he looks truly disturbed you know that he, he actually is very much in the moment for this character's very broken psyche uh so that that's not an easy thing to pull off because you could just put a lesser actor in that role and say oh no no he's just he's lost his mind but this guy has lost his mind in a way that you are still hanging on to every word because you know that there's truth in everything that he's saying and uh that that is certainly a credit to the writers here for what they're able to pull off of course they tie in just a bit of that space 1999 metaphysics by being like oh he also has like weird psychic abilities which i i think that's fun i don't know uh, he, he <laughs> probably can do voiceovers necessary. he has yeah. the power to do voiceovers yeah well anyway. and i do feel like that though is one of the weakest points in the episode is that there are so many ideas that have been thrown up against the wall here you've got a lost uh mission a lost space probe to uranus um, so that's already interesting anyway, and they predated the events of Space 1999 by 13 years, then, or this episode by 14 years, as they point out, because they've been out there for a while. Then you've got, um, the time warp, which they literally, I had to go back and rewatch that moment. because, like, wait, wait a minute. How, how yeah, did they is... explain that? No, 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 they didn't just, just that Victor is... Bergman's was like, yeah, I asked the computer. It doesn't know. So that all checks out. Yeah, definitely a time warp. <laughs> one uh, of us went through a time warp. Could be us. One, one of them. us. Yeah. Uh, so you've got that. And then you have the immortality, but also the weird psychic draw of the planet itself. Then you've got the fact that we, we absolutely know that they're going to die if they leave that planet. We know that that's coming but it's revealed in a great way. Um, So there are all these terrific ideas, but not enough of those fully explored because there are too many of them. (laughs) Had this been a 90-minute episode, I think we would have gotten even more depth because think think about the speed with which they go through the whole uh, ethical conflict here of like, 
yeah, we found this planet. It makes us immortal. Wouldn't you guys like to stay here? No, seriously, I'm going to make you stay here. No, we don't want to stay here. But then you've got Bergman and Russell. Right? Yeah, totally. We want to stay here. Okay, we'll put it up to a vote. Okay, we're going to go back to Alpha and make, take a vote. I mean, all of that happens. <laughs> if you just pull yeah. those segments of dialogue out, that's about three minutes <laughs> of this episode to really explore this ethical dilemma. I think we needed a little more. Well, I, I put in my notes um, how she's screaming, destroy the equipment as, as she's actually destroying the equipment. There's no like saying and doing. It's just it's all at once. Yeah. Uh, followed yeah, by a wonderful yeah. line, uh, death, the greatest medical challenge conceivable. That's uh... <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. This, is, this episode's all about excess. It's 170 degrees below zero. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't really need to be 170 degrees, but it could just be zero degrees and it would could be just be zero. Very yeah. harsh. Uh, I I think that these characters are sort of written like 800 year old characters, which is to the show's credit, because I feel like that's usually botched. They do feel like people, mm-hmm. but it could have just been we've been here for 15 years and we haven't aged. That's like that. Yeah. That could have solved that very easily. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But Eight, you know, 880 years in a time warp, though, that 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 makes it, you know, wonderfully whack. But, but yeah, remember, OK, but, but we got to add all this up. So it, it was a mission to a very distant point in our own solar system. Like that, that, that's a pretty miraculous thing anyway. OK, so they do that and they actually got to where they were going. Oh, but wait a minute. They actually ended up on this completely other planet that they knew nothing about. And the planet has these very weird properties, and there's a time warp. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. what's next for these people? It, you know, black hole next for them for sure, because they, they like they should all buy lottery tickets because the uh, the <laughs> rapidity with which these extraordinary things happen to this one crew uh, is yeah uh, off the charts. I do want to give a very big shout out to the um, very peak sci-fi ice planet aesthetic happening throughout this episode i love Moonbase alpha deeply and passionately it is a gorgeous set everything designed just to the inch but we spend more time here on the ice planet than we do on alpha and probably more time in those sets than we do in pretty much any other visited set in this series and it is awesome and it's partly awesome because it looks so homemade uh but this is like right up there with you know think about logan's run when they encounter box and you have this contrast of uh literally cold and dangerous you know ice and snow but also the cool aesthetic of like 70s sci-fi tech a computer wall those amazing looking chandeliers uh, of all the kind of like chrome tubes hanging above them. Like it is gorgeous. And that is an aesthetic that I want to come back. Uh, Oh, of course, you again, mix it up with animal skins. Gotta have that too. Like it's weird and dangerous and also sci-fi and also sexy. So they nailed that. Uh, Go to the exterior they did not so much. It just looks like shaving cream. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of it. Yeah, there is a joke, lot of it. Yeah. Took Marlando's skin off, apparently. My first <laughs> note for the whole set was, uh, and I mean this as a compliment, just looked like the perfect place for a B-52s video. 
Somehow. Yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe that's sort of the aesthetic. You know what? The the girl from Empanema goes to Greenland. That makes sense. Uh, something yes. Like that. <laughs> yes. I love it. Yeah, it made me kind of yeah. jealous. Like I, yeah. I, I want it to be cold outside and I want to be in the air. And that's yeah, the right. Best right. sci-fi design makes you kind of wish you were, even if it's dangerous, it kind of makes you wish that you could visit the uh, the place. So I, I mean, like I, I've always wanted a room in my house. You know, if it's a, a room or like a basement room that's sort of like a cool, maybe not a tiki bar room, but just kind of you know your classic sort of man cave, batch pad, whatever. But then I looked at this and I was like, oh no, no, that that's next level. That that's <laughs> the room right there. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I mean, I guess I take oh. Elvis's jungle room as a second. That was fun. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that, that would work. That would be fine. <laughs> so this is uh, this is something that always I don't know. I don't know if irks is the right word, but we have run across a lot of people who know what Earth is lately. Do you guys think that there's such a thing as just a current through space at this point? Because we've had collision course. There was a woman who claimed to know that they were coming. <laughs> and uh you know these guys pretty much were expecting i mean so, okay psychic jack shrapnel was jack tanner psychic jack tanner knew that the moon was coming for 800 yeah. years <laughs> like and, i don't you know the um the, the last sunset the aliens there they knew they knew what earthlings were and they avoided them <laughs> so it's it's a yeah. weird thing where i feel like Everyone well, knows they're coming, so it's just strange. You might, Matt. I mean, I think I... stupid, but there will be a bit of an explanation in the last episode of season one. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, Matt, I I think that goes back to that whole yeah that metaphysical current that runs through this entire series, and we talked about it in Black Sun, which is just like here is this dangerous phenomenon that destroys everything in its path but alpha special you know and there, there is this guiding force and i that's that might be a little too much fi in my sci-fi <laughs> but yeah. but i think it works for this series i mean i guess yeah, part Matt, of the i disagree of this... on interstellar sorry go ahead mm -hmm. I, we disagree on the black hole i the black hole and interstellar pisses me off the rest of it i mean i like the the look and everything and the the yeah. earlier part of the movie but that one part it's like man that's convenient but sorry right. go ahead matt you had <laughs> right. something relevant to say oh um yeah i guess a, a big part of the charm of space 99 in general and and to the fact that you know people still want to have their own physical eagles and that sort of thing is it mm -hmm. is basically like a play set and sometimes it's kind of weirdly charming. Like, you know, let's again, Interstellar is very um, matter of fact, practical looking you know, spaceships mm -hmm. and stuff. Like, that's pretty much like the best guess for what we could do at this this time, how it would end up. You know, Space 99's got right. like 2D decals for their control panels. You know, these are these are toys we're playing with. And uh, when you're playing yes. with toys, sometimes yes. your imagination just gets a little um, out there and or stupid <laughs> well they're they're literally yeah. toys that i'm jealous that i wish i had because i mean i'm in a facebook group of what old toy stuff and there was a toy i'd completely mm -hmm. forgotten about that was like a corvette where you flip up the compartment and give it commands and you can program it to drive just you have to program it to do all the directions and then it executes the oh the, my God. Uh, the uh commands in order which <laughs> i wow had completely forgotten about that. It's a ridiculous idea, but it's was, you know, 
achievable in 1980 or 75 or whenever that came out. That's awesome. But, you know, it looked like something from Moonbase Alpha, the control Mm -hmm. panel. John, I remember hearing your great white whale of toy collecting is what the the, the Vaw Star Trek play set from the mid 70s. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Mission to Gamma Six, um, uh, made by Migo, got the uh, the little glove in there as uh, you know, like a a creature coming out of the rock, and it's very clearly based on the apple, but just no no adherence to, to you know any of how that episode actually played out or what the characters looked like or anything. It's just like no, no, we're Migo, uh-huh. and we need to take all these random parts and throw them together uh-huh. but as long as we're talking about you know white whale toy sets i mean look space 1999 you had the giant uh, there were many many eagle models but you had the giant 24 inch was it 24 or is it might have been bigger than that pushing 30 inch that came with the figures but the problem is that was partly made of styrofoam so it would come apart oh, and it's yeah. hard to get a complete set nowadays and then he had a moon base alpha set very much like the Star Trek bridge set with the vinyl walls, you know, but then I, I believe the uh, compost that's in there is light up. And yeah, I mean, primo stuff made for the tall, uh, uh, like the eight inch figures. So it's still a lot of 1999 stuff that I would gladly display in my collection. Yeah. The closest thing I have to that is I managed to score an, an Astrolite set. Are you familiar with those? Like the uh, Hasbro Astrolite, where it's like trans translucent, little futuristic construction set. Ooh. That's you can you really can't do much with it except for build just the thing. But it's uh, it's pretty cool looking, <laughs> and it has a color wheel. That's under awesome, it, a rotating color oh. wheel with a light bulb. So yeah, it looks fiber optic, but it's just a very primitive version of that. But but it's not it. right, right, yeah. right. I yeah. do remember that. I do remember that absolutely. I got lucky. Oh, a guy yeah. wanted to unload it for cheap at a toy convention. It's like, I'll Just take that. It. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I got uh, fully motivated by the toys once. When I was maybe six years old, I was taking swim lessons at the YMCA. And the, the last thing was to do a dive off the board. And I'm perfectly happy mm-hmm. to jump into water, but as far as doing a proper dive, I still can't do it. So I'm just like, I'm not going to yeah, do it. My, same. my dad's like, yeah. if you could do the dive, I'll get you Castle Grayskull. Whoa. Yep. I would too. I can't even, I couldn't even swim when I was a kid and I'd still have done that for Castle Grayskull. And I haven't yeah, been able absolutely. to do a dive since. As an old adult, I've never been able to do like a head first <laughs> dive. <laughs> like even just from a diving motivation, board. clearly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna be like the the uh, elderly people from the Adult Swim bumpers, learning how to swim, like 20 years from now, <laughs> probably. Nice. I was. Um, we we were talking a little earlier about how uh, Doctor Blessed. I already forgot his name again. Sorry, Doctor Roland. <laughs> Roland. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah okay. Doctor Brian Blessed. I almost got it wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that sounds good yeah. enough. Like, yeah, he's not mustache tra- twirling evil while he's still chewing up the scenery, but. I was thinking this is a nice early version of sci-fi gaslighting. <laughs> like mm. as he's breaking all the communications and telling, oh, I'm sure we'll get them later, blah, 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 blah. Because I'm I'm thinking something like um, you know, so, some of the season one Trek episodes where they're still a little mustached poorly, but this guy yeah. is very yeah. chill and lying to them, you know, very uh, 
magnanimous and lying to them. So I was like, this is some first rate sci-fi gaslighting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I love that about it because it, it was maybe a little ridiculous that Dr. Russell basically says to Koenig that you have to trust him because, because I trust him and you have to trust me because I'm the doctor on your, on your staff, which doesn't actually make sense. But, um, right. We, I've been complaining, John, a lot about how Koenig seems to know everything. And that's a lot of the writing on this show. And <laughs> this thankfully yeah. is pretty light on that, even though he does know. He's very easy to, to agree with him. <laughs> yeah, the, the weird yes. the weird thing is that yeah. people are not agreeing with him but at the same time. <laughs> um, that is what's so strange. Like it's a very short distance for Russell and Bergman to be you know, for all intents, crash landed, being held captive, seeing what's going on around them. And like, oh, no, 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 the, the, this seems fine. We should really seriously consider this. Um, I look as much as I still love that uh, the the look of that ice cave that they have carved out for themselves pretty much in any case in a sci fi show, sci fi scenario where the choice is like abandon your really cool technology that has worked for you very well and then just go settle on this planet where it's to coin a phrase primitive as can be that is always the wrong choice um we've been presented with that option in uh star trek many a time galactica more than a few times because you know let's face it they were looking for a home and it's like no 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 you, you guys you've actually got it really good with your cool spaceships and ray guns and you know clocks everywhere if you live on Moonbase alpha places lousy with clocks everywhere. the big strike against going to thule is uh they cannot rock their blue bath towels on thule i think it's too cold for no them. exactly no dude but inside they could but that didn't happen this still this looked a little cold reason. to do it there you know maybe it's yeah. not a blue bath right to towel place i mean again last sunset they were out within <laughs> minutes and and blue bath towels so. yes i think it was <laughs> exactly. seconds actually yeah minutes <laughs> at first they got wet in their alphan suits i made a yeah. note of that and then they got into yeah. the, the bath towels so no bath towels in this episode yeah. i did that notice was the, after uh, they let themselves get gassed by oxygen you know the flight suits yep. changed in this episode i didn't yeah. know if it was like blue because oh going those were nice place yeah those are those are really nice yeah. i i, I appreciate yeah. that um, yeah. I, I didn't see any notes about where those came from or if they're, we're going to see them again, but I just have mm. a knockoff. Doesn't matter, man. Yeah. I have a what? knockoff orange one I should wear, you know, like when BC was on here with his yeah. Alphan shirt, right? I got like a, a, a nice go. orange, orange flight suit, but I'm like, uh, I don't have a blue oh, one. So I'm, I might have waited too long. It's at work. I keep it work. I, 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 I would say a show like this, it, it doesn't matter when they change the costumes because this is the only show I can think of where the costume designer gets like a top bill credit you know uh moonbase alpha costumes by rudy gernroy and he was a master and it shows you where sylvia anderson said was which is yeah yeah yeah, we got this space show but let's go get a great designer and let's like let's really make this look cool and if he or she says we're going to change the color of the spacesuits by episode 14 yes do it here's Here's a hundred thousand pounds. Go do it, and you know we'll see every penny of that on screen. I think that's a good investment that's not done enough because you know mm -hmm. there are a couple of movies. 
you guys may agree or disagree, but specifically Bram Stoker's Dracula and the fifth element had legendary Ooh. costume design. And those movies yes. are pretty good, but I think they're elevated beyond a pretty good just by how cool everything looks. Like I can still yep. picture everything from fifth element in my head. Like I'm yep. watching it. Agreed. I mean, that's part of where this show sits, right? I mean, it looks vintage for sure, but it still looks really good. And, you know, as much as I think we yeah. all love Star Trek, uh, if you're especially mm-hmm. if you're watching the original effects, which I usually do, yeah. to be honest, um, <laughs> you yeah. know, the, some of them don't yeah. look good. <laughs> Whereas I yeah. can't think of a that's particularly true. bad effect oh. on this show. Uh, something I was like, well, oh. there's, just, I mean, if you count, if you count seeing the wires, but I, I kind of don't. I, no, I, don't I don't know if it's just yeah. that CGI has made me so bitter that I just want to see the wires. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not entirely possible. I mean, I think we saw and some all wires the stuff with the eagle in this look great. Yeah, uh, everything in yeah. this episode of the eagle looked terrific. Uh, the snow shots, very cool. I mean, there, there's some where, yeah, the the scale, kind of the gravity, where there's like a lift off and it kind of slams back down. You go like, okay, that's a model, but it's still a really excellent model. <laughs> you know, it just all looks so good. It was nice to see the yep. Eagle like make a normal landing on an alien planet for once and not like crash into <laughs> right. it or float above it or something. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So, Maybe they got that out of their system and they're not going to destroy any more of them. Well, we'll after Guardian appeared, never weird floating Eagle. How do you top that? <laughs> well, you know, we had not long ago, was it Alpha Child where we had three of them in direct combat none of them got blown up that was incredible yeah but they all hit the shot, ground pretty shot. hard yeah they did all hit the ground but they didn't <laughs> they didn't destroy get destroyed but you know um they had... i'm gonna throw out a question the, the the general question in a moment but uh any mm-hmm. random observations you guys like to make that we haven't gotten to hmm I guess mm, I just wrote I Alan needs a tauntaun to sleep in as he's uh, out in the yeah. in the blizzard. <laughs> this, um, I mean, this... to to me. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say this. This uh, Brian Blessed felt like he was channeling Matt Berry from the future, and uh, Jack Shrapnel felt like he was channeling Nick Cage from the future. So I was very happy with this. That's that's about <laughs> it for me. Nice. I, I yeah, I mean, I think we hit the most important observations here throughout. Um, I I do think that the uh, for all the expense on costumes, talent, um, that incredible set. When it came to set dressing, like okay, I think the the peak items, obviously that kind of lounge area in the you know the central part of that set where you have the uh, uh, the chandeliers above that looked great. I think uh, Dr. Roland's desk uh, and that computer bank, I think the computer bank looks great because it, it essentially is what they have on Alpha. That's fine. That's just a great, timeless, cool-looking design. Um, I love the very Space 1999 look of, like, you have a desk, and then you have a single giant microphone on there to indicate that that is where you do communications. Kind of funny because I like obviously the three of us, yeah, we're doing a show, we're talking into mics, but literally all around you at any given time, between your computer, a tablet, a phone, what like there's mics just everywhere built into everything. So, you know, it's kind of funny to think in the future you need a giant dedicated thing. And the other very space 1999 look of having a monitor 
on said desk with a giant microphone, but the monitor always cheated out toward the camera. So the audience can see what's going on. The person using the desk does not need to see what's on that monitor. Um, but everybody in the audience definitely does. Um, so those are some real highlights of the look. I think they skimped when it came to the science lab, because I swear to you, those were erector set pieces that were getting uh, destroyed on at least one of those tables. And it's just like, okay, we gave up <laughs> when it came to doing the actual science in this room. Um, oh, and the other thing uh, that was just very strange and kind of irked me a bit was the constant use of the phrase hot liquid. Um, these are humans who are on Ultima Thule. They can say water. They <laughs> they can say drinks. They can say, and they kept referring, like he comes in, uh, Dr. Roland comes in right after they found uh, Russell and Koenig and um, uh, Bergman. And he's like, you know, get, get animal skins and get hot liquid. Like what? <laughs> like that could be anything. <laughs> what do you just any hot liquid like that? And then they say it again and again and again throughout the episode. And it really was strange. <laughs> it could be a sociological be, hmm. thing. Like 400 years ago, someone said as a joke, like we might say like adult libations. And, you know, 200 years after that, it stopped yeah. being funny and everyone just starts saying it as a matter of course. Um, right. <laughs> given yeah, hundreds of definitely... years in a closed community, I could see where their slang, you know, kind of adapts and changes over time. Uh, it was so strange. Yeah. Like, do you mean do you mean just boil some water? Do you mean tea? Do we still have tea? It's been eight hundred years. Probably went through all the tea rations that we brought with us. So I mean, it's yeah. like, hey, like you know, when my daughter is an infant, she'd be like boom boom when she went in water, and every once in a while, it's like, hey, y'all want some boom boom? <laughs> you know, yeah. See, I think of boom boom. I think of something else. Really. I think yeah, of, I think yeah. of the X Men character. <laughs> what are, are you thinking of something different? Wait, what did the X Men character Boom Boom do? She threw little balls of energy that blew up. Okay, I mean, I, I thought, don't, they, I don't I know, thought I they all did that. Okay, <laughs> I thought every single one of them did that. Yeah, but she usually did it yeah, as practical I, jokes. Oh, okay, I I can't <laughs> keep all the X Men in my head at the same time. She, she was impossible. introduced as kind of like a mid eighties Madonna esque character in the late eighties. So yeah, nice. Okay, all right. Okay, I'm just revealing right. that I've read way too many X-Men comic books. Okay. No, I mean, that's nothing wrong with that. You're well read. That's, you know, you've read the material. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. honestly embarrassed at how few comic books I've read for whatever that's worth. I'm sure someone's listening and rolling their eyes at that. She's she's introduced in ep, uh, issue 12 of X-Factor. There, I just made it worse. Wow. Okay. <laughs> My God. Wow. Cool. I'm just wow. I don't think that... that's any nerdier than knowing what the names of all the football players are on the football team. Mm, yeah, I, which I also with... don't know. I had trouble remember yeah. Dr. Roland too. Now I'm just thinking the chemical brothers. So <laughs> yeah. a, that's my mnemonic trick now for not getting the name wrong again. Um... <laughs> I know a little bit about most things and I don't know everything about anything. Okay. Mm. That sounds cool. Same. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Yes. Let's dabbler uh... of all trades. Mm. That sounds let's, bad. <laughs> <laughs> let's work out uh, what percentage of this episode is existential dread and what is sci-fi fun. Um, I don't know any volunteers for firsties. <laughs> Jeez, man, this is 
this to me was a hundred percent fun. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't dreading anything because I just didn't, th I didn't think anything sinister was going to happen. And not with the sort Shakespearean of the overlay. Thing... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't really feeling the tragedy, but maybe, maybe I was just so entertained that I was distracted into not feeling any dread. Okay. I worked a little more dread into this. Um, I guess, yeah, a lot of sci-fi fun. The ice caves just right there. You're that's that's a good 40% sci-fi uh fun, no problem. Yeah. Um, I guess the idea of like settling onto a garbage planet and uh and and I you know, I was thinking like 40% dread through most of the episode, and then the money shot yeah. of uh, Dr. Roland exiting the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, I'll give another 20% for that. Because the idea you can never yeah. leave, you know. And and he was you know, smoking, you know, that was amazing that he was smoking. That was great. Yes. Of course, the smoking. So cool. <laughs> also so cool. You know, should I all the, be so lucky. Yeah, I <laughs> hope I, I hope I go out like that. <laughs> I do the Twilight Zone <laughs> podcast. So on the Twilight Zone yeah. podcast, one of the things is like we find it most bleak when it's like, how do the characters go on after this? And I kind of feel that for the uh, remaining inhabitants of uh, Thule. It's like, wow, just how is, well, are they just going to live another 880 years? Uh, I guess not being lobotomized anymore, but uh, still just like you're uh, stuck in your ice cave forever. You're not going to die. You're not going to reproduce. Have fun. That's pretty dready to me. Being yeah, stuck well, in one place dreads me out. I was lucky in 2020. I didn't, never really got locked down. I, I, I would have gone nuts. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they, they have each other. And maybe that's, again... That I'm just feeling biased because I've seen so many episodes of the show where there are just two people on a planet or one person on a planet alone, mm. or or we don't know who's on the planet. <laughs> that it, at least it felt like a community, which I we haven't gotten a whole lot of. Yeah. We had yeah, um, Earthbound. We had that what six people on a ship, and then they accidentally killed one of them, so there are five now. I'm painted That's a little bit sad. by this. Uh, of course, both of you have been watching Star Trek Voyager, and I thought of the Thaw several times. Great actor Ooh. in control of a whole bunch of people, destroying yeah. some of them at times. And I think nice. that's a nice. very high existential dread episode of Voyager, and it might be influencing my feeling on this episode because uh, you know Doctor Roland is not as disturbing as. Uh, Michael McKean's clown, but you know right, he's doing right. kind of the same sort of thing and run and right, being the authority of this uh, cloistered community. So, oh yeah, no, I mean I I think this episode it cranks up the the sci-fi fun. Yes, I mean you you're easily above ninety percent on that, uh, and then the existential dread part of it. See that that's where it's very interesting because you do have this horror element the horror of living forever in this one place, the horror of maybe being lobotomized, but also living forever in that place. And then the 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 ethical existential choice, which look, we, we all know how it has to end. We know it wasn't a real choice, but like those moments of the Alphans trying to decide like, oh, this is great. We should stay. We should figure it out. This is a mystery. Um, that's the kind of thing that Star Trek would just do the whole episode about. And, and this is just kind of like shoehorned in there to create a little drama, a little conflict uh, between our uh, hero characters. Um, so I feel like that element is there, but it, it isn't fully realized. So uh, the sci-fi fun, yeah, 90 plus percent, the, the existential dread, 
we're you know we're probably we're definitely above fifty percent. I, I think we're maybe upwards of sixty seventy percent on that. Um, and, and that though that that's kind of I don't know if we have a formal wrap up here, but that's sort of like in the mission log sense of things. Does it hold up? Where does this stand for me? Um, I kept thinking that to me, my comparison piece, uh, I've always said that Star Trek V is an extremely poorly produced version of a good movie. Like there is a good movie just dying to get out of there and just a, a story that is dying to be told. And yet it can't help but just get screwed up at every turn by every bad decision being made in the production. This episode of 1999, I think, is an exceptionally well-produced piece of TV. I think the writing is great. I think the acting is great. There's a, a, a care about the set pieces, the action, the editing always is good on this. There's so much going for it. It is an extremely well-produced version of a not really great story. <laughs> and I think because it is so well-produced, that helps us to sort of like just glide right past the holes in this because I want to know more. I want to know more about this expedition. I want to know more about these characters. I want to know more about this time warp. I want to know more about this choice. I want to know more about all of these things that are very much a concern of the episode, but don't get enough attention. And even at the end, um, I don't feel like everything just needs to be kind of wrapped up and handed to me, but I thought it was so intriguing that at the end you, and I, don't hold me to actually quote it verbatim because I can't remember it at all, but in commander Koenig's kind of, you know, log line at the very end, asking, you know, posing the question to the audience, if immortality is a curse or is that what gives life meaning or does it only give life meaning to you if death is on the table? And that was an intriguing idea because every other sci-fi story that deals with the idea of immortality basically tells us, no, 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 immortality would be a curse. Immortality would be a nightmare. This is one of the few times that he's actually, that I, I thought posed a very good question to say, well, yeah, we think that because we know we're going to die. But if we knew that we weren't going to die, would it still pose the same uh, uh, influence on our lives? Would it actually give life meaning? So I, I thought that these were great ideas, but there wasn't another voice to step in. There wasn't a Victor Bergman to come in and say, ooh, hey, let, let's explore that a little bit. <laughs> you know, and that is the kind of thing that you would probably, certainly in modern Trek, you, you would spend a whole episode on. Let's not forget this is um impotent uh, immortality, which doesn't sound so great. They're yeah. never gonna grow, they're never uh -huh. gonna their society's never gonna develop that much or because they're they're never gonna have a new mind in there, which is why they want the alphans, I'm sure. But <laughs> well, and, and, yeah. and it is you know, again, since he's not the mustache twirling victim, that is what drives Dr. Roland's work. It's like if we can just figure out the one thing that is a difference in who we were before and who we are now we can solve this and we can get out now of course it it gets twisted um but you know his, his premise is an understandable one <laughs> you know let's let's crack this so we can go 
think I've shown this to both of you, but I also just keep thinking of my uh, potato chips here. Death mix. Oh, no, no, oh no my death, god. No death, no life. That. Yeah, Whoa. I think you showed me that maybe, or I saw it somewhere. Whoa. No death, no life. Spicy. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Be careful. They killed that kid. That one they chip. did, yeah. I, I will let you tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a, a one chip challenge where you buy a box with just one chip that's super spicy, yeah. and a kid ate one and died. And it was, yeah, very that's sad. But it's also the kind of thing that kids will be like, "Hey, did you hear about that kid who died?" You know, it's like the, the right. playground thing, pop rocks. Like right. now, I hear right. the playground pop stories on the coke. internet. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It killed Mikey but, from the Life Serial commercial. <laughs> yeah. but it's so interesting to me that this episode does really have a ton of ideas. And the last episode, Collision Course, had very few ideas. And, you know. Though um, when we, we talked to Earl, uh, your, your compadre on mm-hmm. last Sunday, and he was also noting there's like five different episodes of ideas here. So they are maybe... Yeah. I don't know if it's because of the production run or, or what, but maybe the writer's room is just like, here, shove the, let's shoehorn this in as well. I don't know. Well, knows, I mean, but... it, 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 the cool thing about 1999 is that it is very ambitious at every turn. You know, it, it is ambitious when it comes to the actors. It's ambitious when it comes to the look and the feel of the show. And it's ambitious. It, it, it set out to be a show that would explore ideas in a thoughtful adult way. You know, their inspiration was 2001 and the way that Star Trek looked at the sci-fi that came before it and said, no, 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 we need to do something thoughtful that appeals to adults and isn't just, you know, sci-fi matinee fair for kids. 1999, 10 years later, is doing essentially the same thing. And how can we how can we take that to yet another level and be really thoughtful and cerebral? But as we know on TV, that doesn't always work out. Well, one yeah, of the catches sure. we learned, uh, Mark's trivia early on is what by episode three, they're having to send scripts to New York City and have them sent back to be checked by the, the brass. And that's definitely going to put a crimp in your yeah. uh, making additional yeah. drafts and, and such. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of those guys, uh, ITC New York, just had a little weird bugaboo about everything and decided he was going to personally supervise things and and maybe maybe the show is getting better over the time of the production run mostly because maybe the guy got tired of editing so much because there were a few early on that were kind of like oh suddenly lady has two brains in her head at the same time and that's kind of ridiculous but <laughs> um yeah as a aside the the next time the next episode we'll see with these writers is the infernal machine which We'll have uh, Leo McKern from The Prisoner wearing the wig, the same wig. Ooh, that, uh, the wig. The, the famous wig that was worn by both Christopher Lee and uh, yes, Peter Cushing and, and Collins. also Joan Collins. Joan Collins, excuse me. <laughs> and uh, David Tomlin will be directing, so that that should be fun. Yep, yep. Lou Grade has friends with people, producers, and wigs. Yeah. Yeah, that's how the Muppet Show got made, dude. <laughs> that's how that's how the Muppet Show has a talent a list of talent that it is unmatched, probably. That's how the Muppet Sausage is like, show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it. Um I guess we'll wind it right. down, but uh uh John, I guess you're, you're you're you've got mission log back on track now that the strike is finished. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so glad that Earl and Norman were able to do genealogy and that show 
is just that is a gem and that will move to its own feed in january uh, and in the meantime we'll be uh we'll be doing double duty we'll be uh releasing two episodes in the feed a week one of genealogy one of mission log at least for a few weeks uh but mission log will be back as of thanksgiving day so we're breaking our usual tradition of taking thanksgiving off because we've got a couple episodes in the can and uh that'll come out yeah thanksgiving day and then you know second start to the right straight on till morning nice I accidentally yeah. blew past you guys by like two and a half seasons because uh, <laughs> those uh, those those man those uh, Borg conundrum episodes are pretty addictive. I gotta yes, say. very true, very true. That that show gets just like potato chips after about season yeah. three and a half for real. Yeah, yeah. I could finally watch Picard. I know everybody wants me to finally watch. That. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Years, so yeah, Mission Log will be back. Mission Log will be back at podcast.robberry.com. There you go. As for right. this one, we're a uh, podcast 1999 on Facebook, at least. I'll get us on Mastodon or something because okay, X doesn't about work. Say, well, I was about to say, I mean, the X is worse really than ever now. Supposed to get off X, I think. If, I anyway, think it may be racist for us to even say X out loud. <laughs> I <know>. think so. <laughs> Anyway, we're not there. Don't look for us there. Do look for us on Facebook (laughs) and maybe Mastodon. Um, Do look for us uh, if you want to support us on Patreon a bit. We are uh, at Podcastio Podcastius, where we also talk about really good films and really bad films on Films and Filth. The Twilight Zone is before mentioned on Time Enough Podcast. And some video game ones. Luke loves Pokemon for the Pokemon. Hyrule Field Report for Zelda. And the Game Game Show for Gamers Gaming Each Other. Okay. I think I got through that. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to go out um, to the ice planet now, I guess. Nah, actually, it's, it's warmed up a little bit. It's not that bad. In fact, right. I think I'll turn my heater off. But I will, I will, I'll be in full ice planet mode in once for sure uh, around here. Nice. Well, um, all I can say is, damn it, I should have put a star on this line. Okay. Never! I, I... <laughs> You would have put a star on never. <laughs> no, I just slipped into that because I couldn't find a a hot Shakespeareish line, Shakespeareesque, Shakespeareesque. Mm. Out, out, damned spot. That that just came to mind. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good one. Good job. Good job. Get that. Get those spots out, man. Mm-hmm. It's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Uncertain, and how it swarms upon the high. 
water basin confess to no false charge. Instead, it'll be the goodness, the purifying crucibles, to share with the furthest world at large. in a pan, in dance of dehydration. Despite this place lacking walls, don't ever have them fooling you. This is no way not Sufferings at melting points. Lay down of tools upon their set. You know all those sets of fate. To go free from the joy. For this fugue state so pure, we'll shoot through sodium channels. For the antidote outside the tank, still be sticking to my story. Long memories, money banks.